Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Rhythms Podcast. My name is Spencer Lohman, and it is a joy to have you join us today. Rhythms is a spiritual formation project that has been birthed out of United City Greensboro in Greensboro, North Carolina, where we want to learn the unforced rhythms of grace in the language of Eugene Peterson, translating the words of Jesus in Matthew 11, verse 29. We really feel like in this tumultuous, chaotic, and disordered time that we are living in in society, whether it's COVID-19 or the social unrest, the geopolitical reality, or the digital world, whatever it is, that we should anchor ourselves in the practices and rhythms of Jesus. And I'm thrilled and honored uh, to have a guest on today. You get a chance to listen to an interview with a brand new friend of mine. His name is Jay Kim, and Jay is the lead teaching pastor at Westgate Church in Silicon Valley, California, in the northern part of California, in the Silicon Valley area. And he also serves on the leadership team of the Regeneration Project, which is a gospel-centered ministry that was birthed out of Western Seminary. Uh, He also has a master's degree from Fuller Theological Seminary in Pasadena, California. And back in March, he released his very first book with IV Press called Analog church and it's actually a book that i read and thought that it was fantastic the subtitle is why we need real people places and things in the digital age Uh, jay is an incredible guy who i've connected with and uh, is going to be talking a little bit in today's podcast about the practice or the rhythm of digital abstinence. So with that being said, I want to welcome you to the Rhythms Podcast and hope you enjoy this conversation with Jay Kim. Jay, welcome to the Rhythms Podcast. It's so encouraging to have you with us. Oh man, thanks, man. I'm honored to be here and uh, have enjoyed our conversations. Uh, you know, just you and I. So it'll be fun to have one for others. <laughs> I hope it'll be fun for me. That's what I know. <laughs> it'll be. It's gonna be fun for all of us, man. It's it's truly an honor, and I'm so glad you have uh, joined in the mix. Um, I read your book back in March, and it was so timely and so helpful for me as a pastor and as a leader. Um, but I've, I've just recognized in the world that we live in right now that we spend a lot of time in front of screens um, and are just being tossed and turned by the waves of the digital world. Um, you know, now I was reading earlier today that Americans spend on average three hours a day on social media, three hours a day watching television, I think over an hour just on Netflix alone. Meal times are shorter than ever before. We're not eating at the table with our families. Um, Phantom vibration syndrome is a real diagnosis at this point. And now the social dilemma is a documentary that has gone just bonkers on um, the reality of algorithms and uh, digital psychology and all the different um, implications of social media. And I just felt like this would be a very appropriate conversation. You have done a ton of research um, behind it. So if you could, I would love if you just kind of gave your, 
overview of where you feel like we are right now in the West in terms of the role that the digital world um, is playing on us and how it's informing us and shaping us as not just followers of Jesus, but just as people in general? Hmm. Well, that's a big question. Um, You know, the first thing I'd say, I think, is when it comes to what anything, any technology or any new movement is doing to a society or culture at large, I I do think it's important to first say it's not monolithic. Mm. You know, uh, we all sort of live on a sliding scale when it comes to the influence and impact, both negative and positive, of, of digital technologies. However, I would also say that what is monolithic, all, nearly monolithic, unless you're, you know, Amish or something, <laughs> right. is that you, you do exist on that sliding scale. So yeah. the sliding scale being the sliding scale of digital influences on your life, on your humanity. And I know that sounds like hyperbole. It's an overused word, uh, but it's fitting here in, in my estimation. And what I mean is digital technologies are impacting how we understand and how we experience being human today. Mm. We, we do live on that sliding scale, basically all of us. You know, there are pockets like I said, the Amish or, you know, those who have committed to being Luddites or something like, but, but those are very small pockets, you know, in the, in the big broad scheme of things. And in fact, those who are listening to this podcast, I know for a fact, you're all on that sliding scale. (laughs) Yeah. What the oxymoron. Yeah. Yeah. It's digital technology that allows you to listen in on this conversation, which I think is an important point in that, um, Digital technologies do add benefit to our lives. They, they're not just bad, you know, or, or negative or evil in and of themselves. Uh, so the book you mentioned, you know, Analog Church that I wrote and released last year, this past year, about six, seven months ago, um, I, I try to make it clear in the book that really this isn't, uh, this isn't about the technology itself. It's about our sort of human tendency and our proclivity toward abusing and misusing basically any and all technologies we get our hands on. And that's Mm -hmm. been true throughout human history. Um, It just so happens we now live in a world where the technology at our disposal is the first technology that's like completely disembodied. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that has a very unique impact on um, how it's forming and unforming really critically important parts of our humanity, uh, how we understand and experience what it means to be human. Yeah. And I think that seems to be the big question right now and moving forward, what does it mean for us to be human? And um, obviously you spent some extensive time looking at the role of technology in our spiritual formation to Jesus. Um, And I, I just have thought of this phrase over and over again over the last year especially once COVID-19 hit and we're all isolated and began kind of functioning um, in this escapist kind of way of life. Um, and we just get sucked into the digital world. And so I've been thinking about this idea of digital abstinence and having practices and rhythms in our life to um, 
mitigate the consumption of, of tech and, and especially social media. So um, in terms of rhythms and practices, how would you speak to that? And how would you give insight to a, a follower of the way of Jesus in a digital world um, to have anchoring rhythms to to remain abstinent at times, you know, to take breaks. I know I saw the definition of abstinence is the factor practice of restraining oneself from indulging in something. And we clearly indulge ourselves in Instagram, Facebook, Netflix. So how would you speak to that, uh, Jay, in terms of practices or rhythms that could actually uh, help us discover what it means to be human and uh, just that divine kind of creation? Yeah, I think in some ways that is the critical pragmatic question that all people, but especially followers of Jesus in the digital age, um, need to be asking, right? So uh, there's there's so much to say here. There are very strong voices out there who who make really strong claims that I think, whether you agree completely or not, are incredibly helpful. So there are you know, Christian voices, people like Andy Crouch, uh, who wrote a book called The TechWise Family a few years ago, or, uh, you know, John Mark Comer, who recently wrote a book um, about eliminating hurry from your life. Mm-hmm. And he gets into some of the pragmatics of how the digital age and digital technologies are are hurrying us and rushing us. And then you have like really extreme, you know, non-Christian thinkers like uh, guys like Jerron Lanier, you know, who was like the, is essentially the father of virtual reality, who now is basically a proponent of, he's almost a Luddite, you know, mm, <laughs> he's not yeah. quiet, but he, he wrote a book a couple of years ago. I think it's called the 10 arguments for deleting your social media right now. Sure. And, Um, you know, so there are strong arguments out there and whether you listen to a Lanier and actually delete all of your social media or not, that's actually something I've wrestled with and toyed with for the last three, four months, um, trying to figure out if there's a way forward without any social media. Um, I think at minimum, it is crucially important to your point, Spencer, that we, uh, figure out the rhythms and practices um, that will place digital technologies in their rightful place and appropriate position of influence in our lives, rather than thinking of digital technologies as just supplemental tools or uh, you know little sort of nuggets of entertainment or whatever. That's often how we think of it. But I think you mentioned earlier, you know, the Netflix documentary, The Social Dilemma. What that documentary is showing very clearly and what all the research is showing very clearly is that these little tools that we have in our back pockets or iPads or laptops or whatever, they're not just supplemental tools. They're actually formational devices in our lives. And so we have to put them in their appropriate place. So when it comes to digital abstinence, um, I'll just, I'll, I'll steal from Andy Crouch here. He's got these really clever little things. They're not clever. They're wise really. But, um, but it's, it's clever in the sense that it's like almost, you're playing like a trick on your mind to, to rethink how you engage like your cell phone, for example. He talks about treating digital technology the way a parent would treat a young child. And one of the things he says is put your digital devices to bed before you go to bed 
and wake up before your digital devices wake up, which as a young parent myself with a five-year-old and a two-year-old, it makes all the sense in the world to me. My home would be disaster if I went to bed before my kids went to bed and they just had a run of the yeah. place, you know, <laughs> while I was sleeping. Sure. And, you know, it, it would, we would not start our day well if my kids woke up before me. Now, certainly there are days when they wake up super early and jump into bed with us and, you know, wake us up. But for the most part, I wake up before my kids wake up in order to get the day going, to make myself a cup of coffee, to spend some quiet time with the Lord and the word and in prayer, to set up their breakfast, to make sure that, you know, we can get them ready. And that's the way we ought to leverage, use um, digital technology. So, you know, very pragmatically, that means probably not having your cell phone on your nightstand, putting it somewhere else. That's something we do in our home where, you know, it goes in our kitchen and a little docking station where it charges overnight. And so our phones are not near the places where we sleep, you know, and, uh, uh, and it's not within arm's reach when I wake up in the morning. It's not the first thing I look at when I wake up in the morning, which it would be. And it was for a long time when my phone was on my nightstand, I would just habitually reach over and, and grab it. Um, you know, another way, uh, obviously there are some people who practice the daily office. I think that's mm. sort of become more and more popularized and, there's a way to practice the office where the daily office where obviously digital technologies, you know, are sort of um, pushed back to the, to the background as you spend time with the Lord. But I think there's ways to do that with digital technology as well. You know, when it's not necessarily just the daily office, but even figuring out moments and times throughout the day when you know that you were going to put, digital devices away to be able to focus your time and your energy uh, on things that that matter most, you know, and to be able to give your best energies to those things without the distraction, the pull, you know, the constant pull of your phone or whatever else, I think is critically important. So um, those are just some practical thoughts. I, I don't know if, if you wanted to take it further. Yeah, that, that's, those are fantastic. And um, if you haven't read any Andy Crouch's content on uh, the TechWise family. I highly recommend it. It's a very short read, very simplistic read, um, but very practical in terms of parenting your phone. I love that language, uh, which really puts you in control. And I think that's kind of what we're talking about. It's shifting from using device language, which when we talk about vices in any other aspect of our life, it's very negative. <laughs> and then when we mention our phones as devices, we just forget about that. But moving from device to tool in its rightful place um, and, you know, looking at the whole leaving your phone in the living room, you know, when you go to bed at night and it's, it's wild because, you know, Jay, you know, this just as much as I do, especially in a place like Northern California, um, where life is much faster than it is for us here in North Carolina or really majority of places in the world. But we're talking a lot about anxiety and outrage and social outrage and the socio-political climate. And it's, a, it's, a, it's fascinating because a lot of us start our day by looking at Fox News or CNN or Facebook and posts that just get us going at 7 a.m., you know, and yeah. then we are scrolling on Instagram at the end of the night and we're seeing kind of this superficial filtered reality that we are, we may or may not match up to. And then it's just this ongoing hamster wheel. Um, 
So that is really practical. And, and it, we will probably do a podcast on the daily office at some point, as I think that is such, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it an anecdote, but I think there's something there in terms of intentionally focusing and moving from distraction, uh, and which I think is really rooted in the rhythms of prayer in Daniel in the Old Testament, in Babylon, in exile, this three times a day, morning, noon, and night kind of rhythm of stopping and just acknowledging presence. Um, uh, you know, one of the things I noticed in Social Dilemma, and you probably did as well, Jay, but the kitchen safe tool that was a shark tank, uh, like invention where they've created this tool that you can put a phone or controller or any vice really into this container and put a timer on it. Um, to let it just like be totally out of your hands and you see the girl in the movie break the glass and get into it. But um, I'm curious with you being in Silicon Valley in Northern California, which is like the center for tech really in the world. Um, what, what's the climate like there for specifically for um, just the tech world and even followers of Jesus? And what do you feel like people are just craving and uh, in terms of, the life they're living and how that integrates with something much bigger than themselves, really. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I wish I could say that because I'm in Silicon Valley, there's just a deeper, greater awareness of what these tools are doing to us. Therefore people live with a much more tempered engagement with their digital technologies, but that's not true, you know? And I think that speaks to the power of, digital technologies. Again, you know, if you, if you read some of the research, you know, I'm thinking of guys like Nicholas Carr, who wrote a book called The Shallows, or Adam Alter, who's written a book called Irresistible. They get deep into some of the neuroscience behind the design of, uh, of the tools, of the technologies that we, we so readily use every day. They are designed, like literally designed yeah. to create addicts out of us mm -hmm. and that's not um man that is, that is not that's not conjecture and it is certainly not hyperbole mm -hmm. uh to their most minute detail they are designed to create addicts out of us to gain our allegiance and to make us people who just need the next you know jolt of dopamine as we swipe and click and and whatever and so uh things are not much different here we're human, you know, even though we live like so many people in our church, so many people in my family um, work for tech companies uh, and, and are the people, the men and women who design these products that um, we use every day. And even them, you know, they, uh, they're not immune to the addictive properties of, of these tools. So not much is different. Um, but I think in some ways, uh, this isn't just, you know, the Silicon Valley, but I do think more and more um, there are at least conversations happening where there's an increased awareness. You know, there's that famous, there's that famous story of Steve, jo Steve Jobs having said, and this is, uh, this is true. Um, it's not, you know, like urban legend, but Steve Jobs was on record as saying that he didn't allow his kids up until a certain age to use Apple products. Oh, yeah. And he, when you saw he, that in the social dilemma, you see all these yeah. tech guys and girls who yeah. have massive restrictions on their kids in terms of their consumption. And some of them aren't even followers of the way of Jesus. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's just, you know, that tells you everything you need to know right there that the people who make the stuff that we 
use and have become addicted to, uh, they understand how powerful these things are. And so they limit or completely eliminate um, its usage in their own home. And, and so that should tell us something when it comes to digital abstinence, like you said, that, that we need to be, again, you know, um, at minimum tempered and moderate in our use of these technologies and possibly consider eliminating at least big portions of these mm. technologies from our lives. And so, you know, the thing that encourages me is that it, it's, it seems to me that we are at least on the front edges of a movement in that direction on a, on a broad level. I hear more and more people talking about it and discussing it, obviously, you know, for Netflix to put the money behind a, a documentary like The Social Dilemma speaks to the cultural moment. So I'm hopeful and prayerful that uh, this, this moves us in a better direction. Yeah, it's so good. Um, and Jay, your book, Analog Church, has the subtitle, Why We Need Real People, Places, and Things in the Digital Age. I'm really curious, considering, again, that book came out in March of 2020, and that <laughs> was like right at the beginning of the greatest pandemic moment, the most challenging moment of my existence, really, um, for a lot of us. I'm curious how COVID has impacted your view of that thesis and that's that statement. Yeah. Well, I think if, if anything, it's reinforced and affirmed that idea that mm. we need real people and real places and real things. Uh, there's a reason why, although we have every tech, technological tool we think we need to connect to one another. I mean, you and I are having this conversation right now, nearly an entire country apart. Right. And we're just, ha we're just chatting in real time. Yeah. And yeah. what a great, what an incredible gift of, of digital technology for sure. You know, and I'm grateful for that. But the truth is, Spencer, you and I have had conversations like this over Zoom a handful of times already. And uh, if it were convenient and easy and possible to do so, you and I would probably both much prefer having this conversation right now over a cup of coffee, you know, so at your true. coffee shop, yes. your church, yes. you know, I mean, yeah, yeah. Like we, without even, um, without being able to identify like scientifically why that is, although there are scientific neurological reasons, there's just something viscerally within us as human beings that knows and longs for those sorts of things those sorts of experiences. And I think that's been amplified in COVID. You know, we, we read endlessly about Zoom fatigue and how people are just so tired of having meetings on Zoom. And um, yeah, so if anything, it's affirmed those ideas. While at the same time, I will readily admit that my gratitude for the technologies at our disposal uh, has, has increased in recent months because yeah. I do often ask the question, man, where would we be if we didn't have at least this, you know? So I'm grateful, but more than the gratitude, my sense is, okay, when will we be able to get back together? Because I think on a, on a universal level, um, there, there is a need and a strong increasing sense of, of desire and longing for the real thing. Mm, that's such, that's such good, good thoughts there. Um, you know, this is my, kind of my last question, but um, in your book, I remember specifically a story, and I've shared this with others, um, where you reference a friend of yours who is in the music industry, 
um, I think they were EDM artists that, that does shows and um, puts on these massive, you know, um, concerts and whatnot. And they come and visit one of your gatherings and you, they, they kind of get into the conversation around this. This feels a lot like what I put on every night of the week all around the country and the world. Um, I, I'm not a huge fan of that. Like I, I am actually craving what you call kind of the comparison between transcendence and um, relevance. Could you just briefly speak to why you feel like, and you get into talking about liturgy and things of that nature in terms of the church. Um, could you just speak to that really quick, why you really feel like transcendence should be the, the kind of the focus and even liturgy as a means of that transcendence as we kind of wrap up our, our conversation? Sure, that's a great question. Um, you know, in the sort of broadcast era of, of uh, American culture, you know, from the mid 20th century or so when television started to sort of hit, you know, televisions essentially found their way into like every American living room. I get into this a little bit in the book, but giant leaps in technology have always influenced our ecclesiology, at least in the Western world and in the Western church. And that was certainly true of the broadcast age. So when television sets and television shows and television studios uh, began to become prominent in sort of American life and culture, that's when we began to see church gatherings and even church buildings and spaces uh, look more and more like television studios, right? With seating for audiences rather than congregations, with big stages, with big screens and big lights highlighting the people on the stage rather than creating a sense of communal ambiance where we're all sort of creating our worship to God together collectively. And the reason that matters is because out of that came the rise of sort of what some might call the seeker movement or the seeker sensitive mm -hmm. church movement. And that whole movement was born out of the broadcast age and ecclesiological adjustments we made in the Western church, the Western evangelical church in particular. And it was all good. The intentions were all good. The goal was essentially to say, man, we've got to be relevant to the real lives of real people who are they're struggling to relate to sort of the high church, lots of liturgy. It just doesn't feel relatable to their everyday lives. It just feels sort of like ancient and formulaic and yeah, it doesn't yeah. really make sense. And um, so that was actually a good thing. It kind of brought us back from going too far in one particular direction where uh, the life of the church and our ecclesiology was just so foreign to everyday people. But in some ways now in 2020, you know, I would suggest that we've just gone so far the other way where our red heart hot pursuit of relevance, like make our church look, sound and feel like the hippest, coolest, most cutting edge thing out in culture today. That desire to be relevant is like turning in on itself, mm. where in particular emerging generations that I talk to and many church leaders have talked to, what they will tell you is that if they take the risk of stepping into a church gathering or into a church community, they're not taking that risk because they're just looking for a Christianized version of their everyday lives. Mm, so now in 2020, they're taking that risk because they are so hungry and desperate for something that looks, sounds, and feels like something they can't find anywhere else. 
And really the word that best describes that, that searching is the search for transcendence. Mm. They're looking for something, an experience, and more so than that, a community of people who embody something that they can't find anywhere else. And in the digital age, that's been um, accelerated because here's the deal. If as a church leader, you are trying to compete with the coolest, hippest, latest, and greatest, you are not just competing with whatever is cool and hip in your geographic location. Right. Because right, of right, digital right. technologies, you are competing with what is coolest and hippest anywhere on the planet. Because on my phone, you know, with a click of a button or a quick swipe or a scroll, I have access to the latest and greatest. And, um, that is, that is a futile endeavor for churches, in my opinion, to pursue that sort of competition. We just have to look and feel and sound like whatever is cool, hip, and cutting edge out there. Because I, I don't think that's what people are looking for. And in fact, younger emerging generations in particular feel exhausted by that pursuit. I mean, look at all of the statistics about what social media is doing to young people mm. and their psyche and rates of depression and anxiety, where's that coming from? It's because they scroll and swipe and click this constant never-ending stream that loops them into comparison, which, is, which eventually turns into contempt, right, which eventually right. turns into just self-centric despair. And if churches fall into that same loop, like our Instagram has to look as cool and as hip as everybody else. We've just acquiesced to the culture at large and the young people in particular that you're trying to reach, they're not invigorated by that pursuit. They're exhausted by it. Mm. They're beaten up by it. And what statistics tell us not to be morbid is quite literally many of them are considering or are killing themselves because of that pain. And so as churches, we have an opportunity to step into that space as a non-anxious, tempered presence of peace and to say, stop chasing, stop hunting, and just come and be as you are. And let us invite you into a space and a community that doesn't care about that pursuit, but rather wants to invite you into an experience that is unlike anything else that culture at large has to offer you. And an, an experience in a community that doesn't emphasize coolness or hipness, but emphasizes warmth and inclusion and love and grace, just as you are. Um, that's the most transcendent thing I think we can do as churches in the, in the digital age. Wow. So there you go. That's me. On Man, that's so good. That's, uh, there's a lot of prophetic words in there from, from UJ. I really appreciate that a ton. And uh, it's something I've wrestled with as a, as a pastor of a community that average age is 25, 26. We're in this digital Babylon, which is what Barna calls it. Um, yep. And we're in COVID-19 in the wilderness. Um, it, it just seems like liturgies, practices, transcendent spaces that we encounter the living God are people are craving that right now. And um, I am so thankful, Jay, that you could give us some time today uh, hanging out with us on the rhythms podcast and just speaking to this a bit and again i think you know hearing a voice of someone who is um in an environment like silicon valley that is quote unquote the most progressive forward thinking place in america um and you guys are wrestling with some of the same questions and um 
have come to some either new or fresh conclusions in terms of what is effective in formation and discipleship, which is what we are after to be like Jesus and to become um, you know, image bearers that reflect him more clearly. So um, again, Jay uh, has written this fantastic book, Analog Church. I highly recommend you guys getting on it. Uh, it's on Amazon. He's got some great endorsements. Tim Mackey from the Bible Project is on there. Ruth Haley Barton, who is someone who I love her stuff, and the Ford from Scott McKnight, which I'm a huge Scott McKnight fan. So I encourage yeah. you to read it. And I have to ask Jay, are you working on something right now? Like, what are you, what are you working on as we kind of close so people can follow you moving forward? Yeah. Well, thanks for asking. Yeah, I'm working on um, trying to lead my local church through this insane time. That's one thing. Yeah, that's and, hard enough. And, uh, yeah, I'm working on, you know, loving my, my wife and my kids. But yeah, in terms of writing, I, I am working on a follow-up book to Analog Church. The working title currently is Analog Christian, and hopefully that'll be out sometime in 2022, something like that, maybe 2023, we'll see. And then uh, I just contributed to a book that the Gospel Coalition is putting out that should be out this coming spring. I think the working title for it is Before You Deconstruct. And it's, uh, it's all about um, just ho hopefully giving some hope uh, and, and food for thought to those who are, who are considering or are going through a deconstruction of faith season of their life. And uh, so I, I had the honor of contributing to that. And there's some great people on it, you know, Trevin Wax, Josh Butler, uh, Brett McCracken, dear friends who are doing incredible work. So uh, be on the lookout for that. That'll be out in spring of 2021. Um, so yeah, should be fun. Cool. There you go. Well, Jay, it's been a pleasure and honor. And we just want to say thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate it greatly. Yeah. Thanks a bunch, Spencer. I uh, have deep respect for you and your community. So grace, peace, and love to you all. Well, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode on the Rhythms Podcast. We would love for you to follow on Spotify as well as subscribe on iTunes Podcast. And it'd be great if you could leave us a review. If you love the content, if you love what we're doing, we want to put that out to more people. And the way we can do that is to have people review this podcast. It's brand new, and so we need your help. So if you could Give us a review and follow, subscribe, and we just really hope that today's conversation with Jay Kim was formative and helpful and practical in terms of uh, rhythm of digital abstinence uh, in this digital Babylon that we live in. Grace and peace to you all. Have a fantastic week. We'll see you next time.